0: with our second episode of season two which is incredibly exciting. I am here with my great
1: friend and comrade Yasmin. (laughs) Yes, hi, I'm here as well. Uh, Just a notice that if you haven't heard our last episode with our other great friend and comrade Kinnery, please go listen to it. It's about Anna Karana and morality. Yes, Um, but the
0: most exciting part of this episode is that we have another guest speaker here with us today. She is smiling in all her glory. Uh, welcome, Beatrice.
2: Hello. So I'm probably Ali and Yasmin's greatest comrade. And um, I'm going to be talking about my favourite book on the planet, which is The Count of Monte Cristo, um, which was completed in 1844 by Alexandre Dumas. Um, and Look at that French accent. <laughs> Alexandre Dumas. Thank yeah. you, well, Ali. This is just... <laughs> um, and yes, so I first read this when I was about 12 and... I don't really like to buy into that whole thing about that there are books that can change your life but this book has most certainly altered my perspective <laughs> on it and it is also probably the best book ever written because it has every kind of book within it so yeah I thoroughly recommend. So, Ali and Yasmin want me to give a spoiler alert because apparently I spoil a little too much of the plot although given the fact they haven't read it they very simply don't understand the fact that I've spoiled maybe like a twentieth of the plot. So don't worry about it, still read the book, but also if you really, really are one of those people who cannot even read the blurb before reading a book, then don't listen to this and read the book first and then come back. My literary criticism of the Count of Monte Cristo's main themes is gonna make your day. Great, let's, let's jump in. So, obviously, I hope that you will all go and read the entire 1,200 pages, which are The Count of Monte Cristo*. but in case you haven't, which, don't worry, I won't be offended yet. Um, Yet. Yet. You know, if you still haven't read it after this, that's a different matter. But um, the essential outline of the plot is that there is a young man who has basically everything going right for him. I mean, he's just a sailor in Marseille, but... um, some people who are like the only people in the world who dislike him because they're ultimately jealous of him conspire to get him wrongly imprisoned and he ends up spending 19 years in prison. And fortunately when he comes out of prison, he has managed to acquire a great amount of wealth in a kind of mythical manner. And he reinvents himself as the Count of Monte Cristo, and he takes his place in the forefront of European society and proceeds to slowly and very painfully, but also very enjoyfully, (laughs) <laughs> um, enjoyfully, our new word <laughs> i love it as a word um take revenge on all of the three people who wronged him and we see the effect that that revenge has on their families um and there's a very poignant moment at the end when he basically weighs it up and realizes that it was never his place to take that revenge in the first place and that that was god's place overall so
1: yeah it's a wonderful book even though the revenge was enjoyable That's pretty much what we're going to be discussing, right? That joyfully, revenge
2: was, um,
0: yeah.
1: Was was it justified?
0: Was the revenge justified? Yeah. Um, So, personally, I would love to be that adventurous teenager and say, ah, yes, he should seek revenge because seeking revenge gives a thrill, etc. But I actually am very against the prospect of revenge um, because I think that ultimately the most important thing to do if someone wrongs you
1: is to move on. Yasmin's making faces nah, as if she nah. disagrees with me here. I, I I first disagree with the the teenage. Like, I don't think you wanting to take revenge is a teenage thing, necessarily. Or nor is it... I feel like when people say something is a teenage thing, they mean it as a, like a kind of, oh, it's rash, it's emotional, it's brash, like you haven't thought it through. But I think a lot of people... Well, not a lot of people, because I don't know like many people who've decided <laughs> to take like life changing <laughs> revenge. But I think do you know anyone? Just <laughs> that Probably not. Hopefully not. But um, I also think that revenge can be a huge emotional outlet for people, regardless of whether it's a healthy way to release emotions or not. Because I think it's very simple to say that oh, people can just forgive, forget, move on. When if you have been wronged, like the count and you know, imprisoned for 19 years because some people were jealous of you. Lost
2: your fiancé, who was the one woman you ever loved. Exactly, like... Lost your father, who
1: died whilst you were in prison. Ah, don't spoil the plot. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's really... i slightly insensitive to be like, oh, he should just find it in his place to forgive and move on. And even if he would be ultimately happier, I think it it would be really hard for him to emotionally do that, and I think by getting revenge, he is making that easier for himself so that one day he can forgive and move on. Most certainly. I mean, as
2: a reader of the book you are wholeheartedly on his side i mean you see this man close to just starving himself in a dungeon in a really grim fortress off the coast of Marseille, where he can watch and see his fiance's light going off as the last light on the hill and you watch him in so much agony and all you want is to get back on these people who've put him in prison for 19 years i mean it's like an absolute necessity also i'm just realizing that i may not be certain about the 19 years what is interesting though is the conclusion that the book comes to so Duma presumably after going through um and writing the book was probably his intention in the first place comes to the conclusion that it was God's place to take revenge and the and he criticizes the count for having thought it was his but ultimately this really I thought about this for a while and actually if you think it's God's place to punish people you ultimately are still believing in revenge you just believe that it's God who's going to do the revenge for you so in a sense, you're no better if you think that it's just not your place. And you're no better if the reason that you don't take revenge is because you are religious and believe that that's God's place. Because ultimately, all you think is that someone else is going to take the revenge for you and that they are still going to be punished. Oh yeah,
1: because if you um, believe that someone's going to burn in hell for eternity for then what great, they did...
2: That's even better than you going and killing one of their children. Like, exactly. <laughs>
0: Firstly, I want to say... In response to Yasmin, I do think it's very natural to want revenge, but there's a clear distinction between that and actually um, whether you should take the revenge, whether it's beneficial for you, whether the person you'd be taking revenge for, for instance, if someone killed your children, whether they would even want you to take revenge. And in response to the, if you believe that it's God's place to take revenge, um, I think I personally don't think it would be God's place to take revenge. I think it would be karma or fate, but I suppose that's a similar sort of thing. I think that's less bad than actually actively taking revenge yourself. I think believing, having faith that the universe will punish the person who wronged you is much better than you actually taking it upon yourself to go and punish them yourself. But I
1: think that depends on the person because I don't think I believe in a bigger fate or karma. So, so where am I supposed to get this kind of justice, you know?
2: And I think this leads on to another thing that I want to consider which is actually that it's all very well for us to say don't take revenge because the law will punish people for it. Even if you don't believe in God doing it, you probably believe that they will be caught by the law and that they will go to prison if they do something wrong. We believe fundamentally that there is a kind of system around us that will protect us and that will make sure things are right. But what happens in the count is that actually it's one of the prosecutors who ends up conspiring in this for his own selfish reasons. And it's just a huge coincidence, but he would have been free if it were not of this whole situation with the prosecutor and his father that really is completely out of it but really affects his life and so i think there's a question that actually if you cannot rely upon the system around you to protect you and to take revenge then perhaps it becomes much more necessary that you have to do it yourself because i think Uh, uh,
0: i i think not i think it's a great shame if the system cannot punish those who deserve to be punished and you should maybe invest your time in going against the system or trying to seek change, but I don't think under any circumstances, it then becomes your place to take revenge because then you're you're stooping down to a similar level to the person who wronged you in the first place,
2: and I think that is what Alex Dumas would say because I think his his fundamental belief is actually no look it doesn't doesn't matter even if God didn't do it, it wasn't my place to think that I was God, I mean that's one of his fundamental points is that the Count thinks he gets all this money from God and actually he's saying you know what, you didn't get all the money from God, you just got the money and
1: it wasn't so you could exact revenge upon everyone around you. Yeah, no, but I don't think getting revenge necessarily makes you a bad person on its own. I think in general being a good or bad person is so abstract and that you can't possibly take one thing and go immediately you're an awful person, apart from, like, very certain things. Like, you know, if you commit genocide, I'll be pretty maybe, comfortable, yeah, you know.
2: <laughs> I'm that definition. No, definitely. I think you're it changes as well at um, different times. But I think maybe this links as well into the idea of forgiveness because actually when you exact revenge on people, you're kind of saying that they can't be forgiven and exactly. you're kind of refusing them a second chance. Because if you're going to ruin their life and kill them,
1: they haven't got the chance to redeem themselves. no, exactly. Because if someone unprovoked, like, murders your children, are you ever going to get justice for that? Because you, you won't in the sense that but, you'll but never have your But is that important? Children. Well, I mean... Honestly, as someone whose children have never been murdered, I can't someone say that. Someone whose children don't exist? <laughs> exactly. I can't say, oh, like, I wouldn't want revenge or I would, I would be forgive them. But I think it's really naive to be like, if you t- decide to take revenge, like you're an awful person because I think humans aren't logical, rational beings and we never have been and we never, I don't think we never will be. And I think re- the reason why there are so many revenge stories, the reason why Count of Monte Cristo is so appealing to so many people is that people like revenge stories.
2: We love it. I mean, you know, there's, there's no explanation necessary a lot of the time. We kind of understand fundamentally what we mean by that is wrong in the case mm. of Yasmin's genocide or stuff. So we want revenge upon people who we think have done bad things. But I think that the problem is, as you identified earlier, that if someone kills your children, and you kill their children even, it's mm. never going to bring your children back. And that yes. is a hard thing. So,
0: so yes, justice is important to an extent. But actually, I think... What's more important is learning to move on from the situation. That doesn't mean that you should forgive them or that you should forget the terrible crime they did. But I think it would be better in everyone's uh,
1: situation if you just learnt to move on. My point is I think some people can't move on unless they feel like they've they've gotten a bit of revenge. I
2: I think the big question and the thing that fundamentally distinguishes those two and that's also explored in The Count of Monte Cristo because it's the best book ever is the fact that actually who else you end up hurting and the repercussions that you didn't expect. And that he actually comes to very much like one of the daughters of the guy who's got him imprisoned. And he really wants her to end up happy with the son of the guy who like was gonna save him the first time. And so he realizes that actually to her, the guy who he hates was her father. And actually when he destroys her whole family and sends them all mad, it's painful to good people as well and that people aren't just good or bad like bad people do good things and good people do bad things and it's far more complicated than that in this next part we are going to be
0: discussing if you take revenge in a broader larger scale way are you as bad as the person who harmed you in the first place
2: Okay, so to aid my argument, I'm just going to quote Confucius because I think you're going to have a pretty hard time rebutting that. Um, Confucius said that before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. And I think this fundamentally kind of encapsulates my feelings about this because if someone kills your children, which is an example we seem to like using a lot, um,
1: <laughs> <Very> and <extreme. laughs> you go
2: and kill their children, ultimately, have you got your children back? No. Have they improved as a person? No. Agreed. Are their children dead? Yes. Are you now a murderer? Yes. Are you now going to feel prison? Guilty? Yes. Are you going to prison? Yes. Has your life improved? No. <laughs> so it's like, whilst the idea is an incredibly, you know, it's a wonderful idea, like, I'm going to go kill their children, that's going to make everything okay, they're going to feel the pain I felt. Firstly, you're going to feel pretty guilty because you're probably a good person because you didn't go and kill someone's children in the first place. And secondly, they're probably not going to feel the pain that you felt because they probably weren't the same kind of parent as you if they've murdered your children. So I think nothing is equal with people's response to it. And you can't try and make someone feel the same pain you felt by carrying out the same action because very rarely in life do two actions have the same effect on um, different people. So to me, revenge is never going to help you, but does it make you as bad as the person who hurt you in the first place? No, because I believe that your motives are much more understandable. But I have
0: a counterpoint to that, which is in some ways it makes you worse than the person who harmed you in the first place, because you know from a first-hand experience how much pain they caused you. For instance, if we're going to use this killing child example, someone kills your child, you know the heartbreak that you feel, how the the world looks grey, you're looking at everything through black-tinted glasses, and yet you're still able to go and do the same thing to their children,
1: in a way, that's no, even less excusable. I, I disagree. Yeah, same, because this- why would you care about this person's feelings? like genuinely, they just murdered your children. i'm not really going, ah oh, let me think about this i also this think they, they decided on
2: that in a moment. they they they, they might have decided to kill your children, i don't know what situation it was really, where they thought i'm gonna go kill their children, but they probably did it in a more planned, maybe not planned, but you are now reacting in extreme emotion. like yes. i don't think you- i don't think anyone ever sits there, waits, then concocts a whole plan (laughs) after their children have been murdered they spend five years planning I mean actually the count kind of does (laughs) they spend five years planning on how they're going to murder the other person I think if people carry out those big acts of revenge they normally happen in the heat of the moment and of the anger and I think therefore you can't compare them because even if they know the pain they are currently suffering that pain and that's a very hard thing to know the pain
1: whilst you're still suffering it. Because we've come to the conclusion that when you think about it objectively taking revenge is not a good idea. Bad
0: idea. And, And actually... If we're going to write a history essay about this, <laughs> we can in- to make our argument more nuanced, we can include long-term and short-term. So I would argue that revenge feels good in the short term. It's like a it's like if you're drinking some Sprite or something, you get an energy high and it all feels great. And then suddenly the exhaustion kicks
1: in or in this case the guilt kicks in. I think it is a like it is not healthy but i think it is a good release of anger like i think one of the reasons the count plots for so long is that he's so angry he's so upset and that fuels him through all these years yeah. but if he had a healthy way to release this anger frustration exercise <laughs> not not even exercise but like you know there's a question always of with the count what what drives him to this revenge, because
2: sure, you can say being imprisoned drives you to carry out this revenge, but actually, what is it that that what effect is it that that imprisonment has because okay, fine, he misses like twenty years of his life, but I don't think that's
1: just casually just, <laughs> I just miss twenty years of my life. I don't
2: think that though is enough on its own to drive him to revenge. I think the things that drive him to revenge is when he gets back and his father has died and he never got to say goodbye to his father. I think it's when he gets back and he finds out, and I think the biggest thing is when he finds out that his fiance is gone and is married to...
1: One of the guys. The,
2: one of the guys who trapped him in the first
1: place. I'm, I'm
0: sorry, I, I blame... I, obviously I, I don't 100% blame the fiancé but that is, that suggests the fiancé
2: was well, no, maybe no, 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 not no, no, the woman no, no, no. for him oh, I mean, oh, she is in love with him you watch this <laughs> beautiful I mean, moment when the boat sails away and yeah. he's going off there and she's the last light on the hill waiting for him and yeah. she waits for like 10 years, there's no question about yeah. it and when the count reappears she is the only person to recognise him. Wait but I thought that they didn't end up together, that he went on and married his mistress so he realises that you can't try and get back things that you've lost. And I think that's a really important point about revenge is that someone kills your children, you can't get back
1: your children. Mm, I agree. Someone cheats on you, you probably can't get the same relationship back. And ultimately
2: that's what he comes to realise is that he's been fighting for something that he can't have again. Okay, so in The Count of Monte Cristo, um, one of the other big questions is a debate between relative and absolute happiness so during um the final letter that the count writes that is one of my favourite things in all literature he says this there is neither happiness nor misery in the world there is only the comparison of one state with another nothing more he who has felt the deepest grief is best able to experience supreme happiness we must have felt what it is to die Morel, that we may appreciate the enjoyments of living um this is a sentiment that when i first read it perhaps just because it's so beautifully expressed and he has other great metaphors about being dashed on the rocks and then mm. seeing the sunrise um very well read can i just comment i'm sure our viewers our listeners oh, oh, yeah. our listeners will really appreciate it <laughs> yes yeah. Yeah. yeah i'm glad um yes personally i'm i'm available for hire if you want me to read more of the county um but i think that this is something that I agreed with fundamentally when I first read it. And I think probably, yes, I was partly swayed by the fact that this had been the most amazing book that I'd ever read. <laughs> but, um, I think it's a really interesting thing, but I definitely agree with it. And it's something that, it's probably the biggest thing that this book has changed my outlook on. So, would you like to summarise in modern English just what, what the general modern gist English, is? Yes. What the general gist is. Um, essentially... I like to think of it in terms of when people ask you, oh, what age would you most like to be? Which is a kind of question that my five-year-old cousins ask me. And, you yeah, know, they go, oh, and they think they've really won the question because they go, oh, I'd like to be zero because then I wouldn't have to think about anything again. And, That's uh, a bit
1: depressing if <laughs> five-year-olds saying that. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> what, are, what are the five-year-olds stressed about? I there? know, I know, right?
2: <laughs> um, but in my head, it's like, actually people who are zero, I hate the word zero, well—but anyway, people who are zero, um, <laughs> haven't experienced, okay, sure, they've got nothing to worry about, but equally they haven't experienced great happiness, partly because they've never had periods of being stressed out. It's like, if I do a week of tests, I appreciate the next weekend ever so much more than I did when I just had loads of free time during lockdown, for example. Um, so this is ultimately the question, is happiness a feeling that you're always gonna get? Is Is one, event always going to provoke the same amount of happiness in you or is it going to be dependent on your experiences previously?
0: I know that I am sitting here with two people who are fans of this phrase relative happiness but I personally, I, I think that if people have been through really hard times they might have more gratitude for their current situation, they'll be able to appreciate it more but I don't think that necessarily makes them happier because they would be haunted to some extent by their past life. For instance, if you come from a pretty messed up family and then when you're older, you have a loving family with um, happy children and happy dynamic, yes, you'd probably be able to appreciate your family life to a greater degree than if you came from a happy family. However, you will always ultimately be haunted
2: by your messed up childhood and therefore overall you'll be less happy and look I I agree I think you know the count is probably a little bit optimistic in his view that this guy's been in prison for 20 years got a well, actually, fourteen possibly um, <laughs> gone and you know, well, mucked up quite a lot of people's lives, killed some people. You know, um, he has this whole sort of haunting thing where he like, reenacts a murder mystery. You know, he's done all of this, and the idea that he's then going to be okay at the end of it is a pretty, pretty oh, yeah, fundamentally. the, the, the idea he's going to like find ultimate euphoria. Yeah, the idea yeah, he's, he's going to be like, woo. Up. I mean, yeah, he ends up taking drugs half the time because really and truly, he seems to have no other escape from the world. But I, I think that actually. To me, maybe it would be better phrased as a question of appreciation Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of my happiness depends on my appreciation for things. And I'm not saying that his whole life, I'm not saying your whole life is going to be great afterwards, after you've been through miserable stuff, but I'm saying that, will you be able to enjoy one event more? Um, And I think that possibly, yes, you will. In fact, I think you will. And I get that, yes, we are here probably ignoring a lot of psychological trauma that you'll have experienced. But fundamentally, I believe that you are better able to appreciate. It's like if you've ever been on a really rough boat and then you get off on onto dry land, you've never been more happy to be on dry land, which is something we take for granted. So I think it is a question of gratitude,
1: but to me that's very inexorably linked with happiness. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, for example, the cat, right? You're usually pretty okay with having a catless ah, existence, right. but you're extra grateful for it. Now, when that is true. When you get home, just to fill in the listeners, Ali is
2: terrified of my cat, which issues during this recording <laughs>
0: <laughs> and when it's not around or when the door is closed it, I feel Ali insists
2: upon depersonalizing the cat <laughs> I feel de-catizing.
0: decatizing. I feel a sense of safety that I don't generally feel in, in my house when
1: there's no cat you know, around as we'd be at my house we would be in the exact same situation but you'd just be a little less you know great. appreciative of the fact that there's no animal in the room exactly
0: Okay, so this is coming to the end of our episode now. I have certainly enjoyed uh, filming this or recording this. I hope that my fellow podcasters have as comrades well. Comrades, Ali, comrades. Comrades, yes. <laughs> I do believe that we have a couple suggestions and recommendations. So Yasmin, I'll give it give it over to um, you.
1: So yes, I've just had a very uh, heated discussion about why I think everyone should watch uh, Bojack Horseman. It's on Netflix. It's a quite absurdist show about a talking horseman but um, I highly... He's also an
2: actor or something?
1: Uh, yeah, who's also... he's Yeah, he's basically a famous actor who he used to be a 90s sitcom star and now he's basically crushed and burned. But the story follows him and essentially by following him it answers all these questions about what it means to be a good person. Can you ever forgive people who have wronged you hugely? Do they deserve to be forgiven? Do actions matter over intention? It kind of fits everything neatly about philosophy there's even one guy who literally represents optimistic nihilism he he is the, he, it sounds like such a great yeah. show he's not even a human he's a dog but he's like he's a golden retriever who represents yeah. optimistic oh golden, golden retrievers seem to me like happy optimistic exactly. creatures. that's what i mean so it's very clever i really really recommend it no one i know has really watched it um yeah so if you watch it, get in touch because Yasmin would like yes. to discuss it. Yes. I suppose, and the idea is that
0: this, this horseman yeah. is um, very well intentioned but
1: through his actions yeah. he really he causes really, harm to really a lot of people. He really harms and hurts other people and like Beatrice said, reading Count Monte Cristo changed her worldview. I find myself really agreeing with a lot of Bojack Horseman's, like well the show Bojack Horseman's core philosophy and yeah, I think it's quite changed my perspective as well. Great,
0: and uh, Beatrice is going to finish this off with a last uh, fangirling
2: session over The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh my god, okay,
1: even though it's been spoiled like 10 times. I'm so point. sorry.
2: But actually, you know what? The Count is such an amazing book that I've probably spoiled a 20th of the plot for you, so you should definitely still read it because there is so much in there um but essentially yeah this is more predictable than yasmin's sudden bojack horseman um fantasizing
1: i know i know i don't my recommendation doesn't sound as cultured but really it's like oh no adventure. i think it
2: but um this is a bit more predictable because i just wanted to tell you that you really must read the count of monte cristo if you go into goodreads if you ever need inspiration to read it and you look at the comments every single person there is like how did i not know this book existed why didn't no one tell me about this in school um so i thoroughly recommend it it is tough the first 100 pages or so maybe 200 when he's in prison they are tough but also just take joy in the fact that that is duma purposely making them tough so that you know what it's like for him in prison. Mm. It's like a deliberate thing, so it's very very clever. And only 2.99 according to Wordsworth Classics. Or just borrow it from right. the library. Or just borrow it from the library or me because I have quite a few copies. Um but ultimately you should definitely read it but maybe give yourself a time like in the holidays or something because trying to get through it in one go and don't do it on a Kindle because it's just too fat for that. Thank you very much. This has been a most enjoyable time talking about my favourite book on the planet that I could talk about for years.
1: Over. And out.